Okay. Tonight's Garden of Amuna class is dedicated in memory of Paul Sterenthal, Yaakov Alvasholom, Ben Yitzchok Sheyichia, and um, also in dedication to the Sterenthal, Vivi, Salomon, and Behar families for the passing of uh, Paul, which was a uh, husband, father, son, and uh, brother to these families. So today's title, today's title is Faith in Time of Suffering. And then the, uh, as you saw in the invite that went out, that in this week's Torah portion, we have the second portion of Shema. And in the second portion of Shema, it mentions over there something, we're going to talk about that in a moment, which seems to be the secret to faith in times of suffering. So let's just first get elementary. Let's line things up properly. The Shema Yisrael has three portions. As we know it, the Shema Yisrael has three portions. The first portion we read last week, and that is the first portion, the Shema. It's called the Shema. And it has the haft that Hashem lakecha b'chol levavcha b'chol nafshcha. Love God, your, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then in the second portion is v'haya im shemoa. It shall be an if you listen and follow in God's ways. That's in this week's Torah portion. And our sages ask about the order why we do Shema before v'haya im shemoa. And our sages explain that Shema Yisrael is accepting God as your king. Vahayim Shemoa is accepting his commandments. And God says, first accept me and then, my, then accept my commandments. So you have over here those two portions. The third portion is actually um, in Exodus, and it's the portion of um, the uh, Exodus, uh, it's the portion of the Exodus of Egypt. And that's uh, the portion also of the Tzitzit. Okay? With that being said, Something very interesting in this week's Torah portion, the portion of Ahoyim Shemoya, already lines up both sides of the line. If you will listen to my commandments, then it'll be good for you. The rains and everything will come on time and everything will be good. There'll be food for you and for your animals. But then it says, Beware, lest you will turn astray and you will serve foreign gods and you will bow to them and then it tells you that there will be then retribution and what is retribution we have some very very interesting verses there and what I come to share with you is that there's more than one interpretation to these verses simply speaking the interpretation is just really negative the interpretation is really just negative. That, and you were made lost, banished, quickly, from upon the good land. You have the other verse, and the anger of God will rage within you, upon you. You have over there that there won't be no rains. So those verses seem to be very clear. If you follow in my statutes, you follow in my mitzvot, then you'll have what you need. If not, there's going to be trouble. 
So what I'm sharing with you is that a very interesting insight to a lot of these verses, as you know, an interesting story in the Torah, there's twice in the Torah where Hashem lays forth some very strong, it's called tochacha. He's uh, rebuking and he's warning. And uh, one of them we read before Shavuot, and the other one we read before the high holidays. And in there it says it's very rough. Over there it's very, very rough. The words it says there are very rough. And one time, you may have heard the story, I'll just repeat it quickly just to lead into what we're going to talk about. One of the, one time, the Alter Rebbe would always read the Torah in his shul. One time the Alter Rebbe had to be abroad to deal with uh, communal, you know, constantly the Rebbe's were traveling to the capital and other places to help uh, the Jews and make sure that the pogroms and the decrees were in sign. There was always problems there. One time for that Torah portion, he wasn't able to be there. And his son, who was the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, his successor, the Alter Rebbe's successor, after he heard the reading of that Torah portion, he got so violently sick that there was a question by his father whether he was going to allow his son, a young kid, but at that time he was already fasting Yom Kippur, he had a question whether he was going to allow him to fast Yom Kippur. Weeks and weeks later, he was still too weak. They asked him, what do you get so bent out of shape, as we say, about this Torah portion? He says, what are you talking about? Did you see what it says there? He says, yeah, but you heard it last year already. You know, you know, you know Chumash. You learned, you knew all this last year. He said, but last year my father read the Torah portion. And when my father reads it, you don't hear curses. Because within these curses lie even deeper blessings than the blessings of the Torah. I'm just going to give you one example that I happened to see in Hasidut about that story. And then we're going to come back to our story of the second portion of Shema. For example, one of the things it says there is that ten women will bake out of one oven. The poverty is going to be so strong and there's not going to be enough wood that ten women are going to bake out of one oven. In Hasidus, that's a very deep blessing because ten women baking out of one oven represents the ten faculties of the soul that they will be congruent and there will be inner peace. Rather than each baking their own little, you know, challah in their own little oven, and that's when you're scattered all over the place and you're wearing so many million hats and you feel like you're a walking schizophrenic dual personality, so ten will be baking out of the same oven. So that's one example it says in Chassidus. So here you see something that sounds like such a rough curse. Really, if you know how to look through the curse, you'll see, like we just read, that um, we, we just came from Tisha B'Av not long ago, from above comes no bad. So it's really good, but you have to know how to find the inner good and bring that out, and that's a little bit what we're going to talk about today. Another example, but now we're coming home to our class. We're coming home to the second portion of Shema. It says, And God will make you get lost, banished quickly from upon the good land. So I'm going to tell you a story. The Alter Rebbe once walked out of his room and he saw his son, the same son that we're talking about. He saw his son, ready in the older, was learning together with his study mate. 
and they were learning the Gemara, and obviously it wasn't the first time they learned that Gemara, Rashi, and Toysis, and the commentaries, and they were trucking, as they say. You know, moving along. Now the saw them learning at that speed, Now the quoted this verse. He said, when you're when you're on the good land, and good is Torah, when you're busy studying Torah, avadatem meheda, banish away haste, meheda speed. Slow down. Slow down. So here you see that this, this pasuk, which simply means that you're going to be kicked out of Israel quickly, Actually, what it's telling you is, if you re-put re the punctuations, it's vavadetem mehera, get rid of the mehirut, get rid of the haste, get rid of the speed, slow down. Most of the times, when things aren't going so ayayay, as they say, one of the first things you need to do is vavadetem mehera. Slow down. You're speeding through life. You're not looking around you. You're not seeing the signs. You're not following the instruction signs. Slow down. Slow down. The minute things start getting bumpy and the curvy, slow down. That's the first thing you need to know when things aren't going so great. Slow down. Slow down. Even when things are going great. But when things aren't going so great, slow down. The quicker you hit a wall, the, the more dangerous it is. Slow down. So I'm just giving you again an interpretation to a verse that seems to be only harsh and negative. And all of a sudden we're saying, well, actually the cure is what lies in that verse. Slow down. Stop taking things for granted. Stop uh, you know, driving without your hands on the wheel. Put your hands on the wheel, the steering wheel of your life. Take control, slow down, see the signs, and make decisions more consciously. Now I want to tell you a story. A story of another verse in the Vahayim Shemoah. And when I prepared the class, this story was the seed and kernel to why I picked this topic this week and what I want to talk to you about. What does that mean? You know, Ashkenazic shuls very often only say the first portion loud. In Sephardic, they do it with the Torah tunes the whole way through. They do the whole thing. But when it comes to these verses, they go quiet. This verse is a very harsh verse. It will rage the anger of Hashem within, upon you. Here's a story I heard from my father, more blessed memory. He told me that one time the previous Rebbe showed up late to Shul on Yom Kippur. That's very unusual. And someone who was close enough to the previous Rebbe said that this doesn't happen by mistake. Rebbe's don't oversleep and they definitely don't oversleep on Yom Kippur. In general, the Rebbe's don't sleep on Yom Kippur by the Rebbe because he had a little light in his room. Sometimes he was able actually to see the shadow of the page that he was learning turn. They actually once saw that he was learning Gemara on Yom Kippur night, probably I don't know, but I'm assuming. But either way, the previous Rebbe came late, something's going on. So one of the Chassidim that were close enough asked the previous Rebbe, what, why did the previous Rebbe come late today to davening? He told him. He said, on my way to shul, I passed a different shul. And the window of that shul was open. 
and I heard someone davening and he was davening loud but it seems to be that he didn't know the interpretations of the words so he put the comma at an unusual place and he said comma Hashem Bachem instead of saying Vechora and Af you separate because of the pronunciation you have to be careful every letter is done separately so you'll see in the city there's a line between the Vechora Af because you have He and Aleph together you can swallow one up and you want to have all the letters because all the letters that are Shema equal to a certain number that we want but you swallow, you normally you say Vechora Af Hashem the anger of God Bachem upon you but he didn't do that Vechora Af which means raging anger stop Hashem Bachem Hashem literally it means Hashem's within you and the previous Rebbe when he heard that on Yom Kippur morning right then and there he stopped in the street and he went into a deep meditation even when Vechora Af still Hashem Bachem even when Hashem is angry Vechora Af so it's not pshat that Hashem left us. Even when Vechora Af, you should know that it's still Hashem Bachem. Hashem is still within you. And because the previous Rebbe went into that meditation, time passed, and then he came to Shulate. It's interesting. Ever since I heard that story, I can never say the Shema without remembering that Taich. And sometimes I catch myself reading the verse exactly like that Jew read the verse in Shul. The pause in between the Af and the Hashem. Vechora Af. And in my mind, a lot of times, because I know that Tvat already so well, you know, so many times when you say Shema, I think about it. So it's like in Yiddish, in my mind, I add on. Nevertheless, Hashem Bochem, Hashem is still within you. It's a different ballpark. When you realize that even when it's Vechora Af, it's still Hashem Bochem, now you're in a different world. You see, when the Jew cries out to Hashem in times of suffering, Lama Azaftani, why did you leave me? then it's a very difficult position. When we see the verses talking about God has forsaken me, God has left me, and we take the blame for it. We don't uh, blame Hashem. Hashem is just. It's because we misbehaved, so Hashem left us. But nevertheless, the, the attitude, the tune over there is that Hashem has forsaken us, Hashem has left us. When that happens, that's a whole different bowl of wax. Now let's just go back. Now, now let's just go back to um, the verse that we're talking about here. And this interesting twist of interpretation. Hashem All of a sudden the attitude here becomes extremely different. Yet af, and it isn't pleasant when Hashem's anger is raging. And as they say, the words of Hasidus is Yoda Inish Benafsheh, which is in Hebrew, it's Aramaic. Every person knows in his soul and his heart how to justify 
the difficult times we go through. It's interesting. I just saw the previous Rebbe write somewhere. He writes, we have two eyes. He has a whole concept. There's a right eye and a left eye. He talks about this whole concept that when you look at another Jew's suffering, you don't justify it in the slightest. What justification can there ever be to a Jew's suffering? But when you look at yourself suffering, then he turns to that saying I just told you before, Yoda Inish Benafshe. A person knows in his heart how this suffering is justified. So there's a difference how you look at another Jew or how you look at yourself. Today we're pushing the buck. Today we're talking about how we look at ourselves. Even when we look at ourselves, we need to know that v'chora af, there is an anger of Hashem, not God forbid towards us, but towards our actions. And therefore things may not be momentarily so pleasant and sweet as we would like it. But don't forget the second half of the verse. Hashem v'chem, Hashem didn't forsake us. The prophet had an interesting conversation with the Jewish people. The prophet admonishes the Jewish people for misbehaving after they were taken into exile. The Jewish people answered the prophet. And if a man divorces his wife, does he still have any claims or rights to her? That's a very powerful answer. It's bad. It's sad. Hashem kicked us out of Israel, burnt down the temple. But once he did, he divorced us. If he divorced us, why are you making demands of us? I mean, we feel bad. We wish it wouldn't have happened. But the bottom line, as we stand right now, what claims does Hashem have to us? He divorced us. God answers the prophet. God tells the prophet to tell the Jewish people to please show me the divorce contract with which I divorced their parents. A little bit back to what we're talking about. That's true. But Hashem Bachem, God is still within us. God never divorced us at all. Now, if you look at that verse from this week's Torah portion, and you put it against the other verses which talks about the, that Azaftani left us, forsaked us, looked away from us, we're now talking about two different perspectives completely. When we talk about the Hashem Bachem, when we talk about that even though we're going through all these hard times and we justify to ourselves why we deserve these hard times and how really what it is is it's a cleansing process or whatever words we're going to use. Even where we're in that mode, nevertheless, what we should never forget is Hashem Bachem, Hashem is within us. Now, what does that do? So I want to go through this on a couple of levels. The first level, let's not say there's good hidden within the bad. Bad is bad. For right now, let's leave it that way. We'll, we'll go further in a moment. But what a difference. What a difference. 
If we're saying that it's bad and God has forsaken us and left us and walked away from us and doesn't look at us no more, versus, yeah, it's bad, but God is right here with me. That acknowledgement, that understanding, that even during the Chori Af, nevertheless, Hashem Bachem, that means that in exile with us is God. In our suffering with us is God. If God is within us and God is with us, then salvation is a hair breath away. That salvation is a hair breath away because Teshuvah is a hair breath away because Hashem Bachem. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how I sometimes talk to my kids. You know, sometimes parents and kids lock horns. It becomes a very... My sister once told me a great saying. She told me the, uh, the child which is like your spouse is a battle of wit. The child that is like you is a battle of will. <laughs> Sometimes you lock horns and it's, it's not a question of battle of wit. It's a battle of will. <laughs> He's that little stone chipped right off the big old block and <laughs> there is no wit involved because he thinks the way you think and that's scary. <laughs> but an interesting thing I tell my children, you know, because at the end of the day, <laughs> There's a moment of executive identification. I told you, I quote my kids that the Nemo moment with the turtle. This is Papa, this is offspring. Let's keep those lines clear. But it isn't good. It isn't pretty. It's a real tense moment. But I usually tell my child at that moment when he's capable of hearing it, you know, when the smoke coming out of his ear is cleared off a little bit, I tell him, I just want to tell you one thing. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. It's up to you. I've told you once before the story. It's one of my high holiday favorites for those who come by here. That along the A1A was traveling an older couple. And they get to the red light. And right on the side of them pulls up a convertible, a younger couple. And he's driving, and she's not sitting in her seat. She's sitting in the middle of the seat with her head on his shoulder. So the older woman turns around to her husband and says, Hey, you remember when we used to sit like that? And the husband, without a blink of an eye, answers her, Honey, I didn't move my shoulder. When you realize Hashem Bachem, you realize it doesn't have to be this way. More importantly, you realize that Hashem didn't move his shoulder. If the answer to redemption is Hashem's presence right next to you, Hashem didn't move his shoulder. So if you took your head off his shoulder, put it back on his shoulder. So the depth of understanding faith in time of suffering to understand that I am not alone 
is already 98% of the cure to your sufferings. If any time a person's suffering and someone reaches out and just tells them, you're not alone, I'm here with you. That is such a strong cure and power. How much more so when the person tell person, how much more so when he, capital H, who is telling you that is Hashem. When Hashem's telling you, af, but Hashem Bachem. When Hashem's telling you it doesn't have to be this way, but you are driving this car, not me. Hashem Tzilcha, I am your shadow. Move your hand, the shadow moves. If you don't like where the shadow is, don't try to move the shadow, move your hand. Move your hand, the shadow will move along with it. When you hear Hashem telling you, honey, I didn't move my shoulder. The faith in time of suffering I am presenting today isn't whether the suffering is good or bad. Or, forget that for a moment. For a moment, we need to get there. But the faith is not how you see the suffering. Before you redefine suffering in the way the Jewish outlook to suffering is, let's take a step before that. Because I think what's important before we discuss the inner side to suffering, we need to first discuss, does that mean Hashem walked away? I, I said this once, I don't like repeating the story without a couple of Lachayims, but here goes. <laughs> In a recording, on the air tomorrow, someone once told me a story, and it hit me like a bomb, and I forbring with the boys in yeshiva about it. Only then, it was in the wee hours of the morning, and we were in a different state of mind. There was a whole forbringing building up to it. But I'll tell this to you now, it's completely sober, dry. I think it's important to hear the story once in a while when you're sober. This guy who I met in Los Angeles when I used to learn there, he was a cousin to the Rebbe. And the previous Rebbe brought him very close, very, very close to him to the point where the previous Rebbe actually let him sit in his room while he was learning and he would draw a picture. The previous Rebbe passed away before he finished that picture and he told me even though I could finish that picture with my eyes closed, that picture will never be finished and he actually showed me the picture. A very unique person, a very, very unique person. He told me a story. He said that once, you should just know, I used to ask him, why don't you come to Yeshiva? Why don't you learn Tanya with us? And da, da, da. He would always say, you want me to learn that book? It says such nasty things about me. That was his sense of humor. That was the way he spoke. And he once told me, do you know what I once did? Tell him what? He said, do you know that when I was a kid, I was sitting on the previous Rebbe's lap? And he had an accident, like kids do. Now, to me, that story was, why did I have to hear that that happened on the previous Rebbe's lap? You know, it, it bothered me. <laughs> For years, I was then, uh, I learned in L.A. from the age of uh, 13 and a half to 16. And it always ate me up. You hear something, it's for a reason. If you hear something about the Rebbe dynasty, especially something like this, there's got to be a reason for it. And then... One time when I told you I was for bringing with the Bachram, it just dawned upon me why I heard that. And I shared with them. 
Most of us don't like to face the fact that when we have an accident, we were sitting on God's lap. We would like to believe that I got off God's lap, which is bad, and I had an accident. But that isn't as bad as trying to come to terms that while I was sitting on God's lap, I had an accident. I think what the verse is telling us, Vechora af, kama, nevertheless, kama, Hashem bachem, is telling us, be a man, be a woman, realize what you did. Yeah, you had an accident. But come to terms that you were sitting on God's lap because God never took you off his lap even when he felt the accident coming and happening. I think it's important for us to understand that throughout the entire process, in the process of our having an accident, meaning doing what we shouldn't do, in the process of Hashem cleaning us up from the accident, which sometimes isn't pleasant and sweet, throughout the entire process from A to Z, He never took us off His lap. And when you realize that you're sitting on Hashem's lap while you're in that situation, you realize how close you are to changing the situation. You realize how real it is that it doesn't have to be this way. You realize how real it is that Teshuva is right there. You realize for real what it means when Hashem tells you, sweetheart, I never moved my shoulder. You were on my lap, you are on my lap, and you always will be on my lap. And just because things aren't pretty, and just because you're sitting in a very unpleasant position because you had an accident, that doesn't mean I took you off my lap. And when you realize you're on the lap of Hashem, even when it isn't so sweet and it isn't so pleasant, you realize that ultimately you're in a place of security. You're on Hashem's lap. Nevertheless, Hashem Bachem, that's an unbelievable insight. So if you're talking about Amuna in times of Yisurim, in times of suffering, let's not talk about first the faith that the suffering will end, the faith that the suffering is Tikkun, the faith that within all suffering is good. That's B, C, D. Let's first talk about A. The faith that throughout it all, throughout me having the accident, throughout me having to go through what I go through because of my accident, Throughout it all, I'm sitting on God's lap. Hashem Bachem. Never put me down, never will put me down. I'm always upon His lap, in the lap of the ultimate security. And Teshuva is right there. He didn't move His shoulder, just put back down your head. And here, every second, Him telling you, it doesn't have to be this way. With me so far? A lot of times we skip this step when we talk about a Muna in suffering. Because before we talk about He who gives us the suffering, we're already jumping to trying to redefine suffering. Because that's all that's really bugging me. 
all that's bugging me is that I'm suffering. That's my problem with Amuna. What's the difference if Hashem's with me or without me? When I suffer, I right away point a finger. And I have problems with Amuna. So we skip probably the most important part of having Amuna in times of suffering. And again, I reiterate, what is that main Amuna that even during Vechara Af, justifiable Vechara Af, nevertheless, Hashem Bachem, God is within us, God is with us, we're sitting on His lap, He never moved His shoulder, and it doesn't have to be this way. Now let's go to the second step, and I'm almost tempted not to even get into that step, because I don't want again that when you walk out of here, what are you going to remember? Oh, so we redefined suffering. For me tonight, I have no desire to redefine suffering. I have no desire to find faith within the suffering itself. Rather, tonight, I'd rather bask just in that story. Even when it's v'chora af, even when there's suffering and it isn't pleasant and it isn't fun, but let me not forget for a moment that Hashem Bachem, I'm sitting on His lap. But nevertheless, I am going to talk briefly about suffering because of another story. Once, the third Lubavitch Rebbe gave a date, a year, which is a ketz, which means a year that Mashiach is going to come. The year came and went, and Mashiach didn't come, and his son, the, the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, asked him, you said that this year was the Ketz, and he answered his son, what are you talking about? This year we printed the Lakota Torah. What is Mashiach if not the revelation of the hidden teachings in Torah? And the son answered his father, father, we need it down here beneath 10 handbreadths, which means we need it physically. Very often, the Rebbe would quote that when we give a blessing for good, we mean revealed goodness. Any goodness that you need to give a lecture on isn't the goodness we want to experience. We want to have the goodness that we don't need a lecture on. It's good because we know it's good. We see it's good. We feel it's good. It's pleasantly good. Once you have to start coming to lectures on Amuna, <laughs> that goodness, please Hashem, we don't want to go through that. So that's why I want to talk about Yisurim and the faith not just that God is with us in the time of suffering, but now let's move the faith not just that God is with us, but that the suffering itself needs to have a different dimension. We're taught that the reason why the higher blessings come down through painful ways is because when you deal with an infinite goodness, it struggles in expressing itself in a finite expression. Now, if you and I can see that it's good and you, are, uh, you and I are finite, then... Let's just follow the laws over here, the physics of Hasidus. If finite grasps that this is good, then it's got to be a finite goodness. 
And therefore, very often, infinite goodness comes down in ways that the finite mind cannot grasp it to be good. Okay? And that is many of the teachings about how we look at suffering. In simple layman's terms, we sometimes use the concept of tough love. What is more difficult and stronger from the parent? When they have a good child and they shower goodness upon the child? Or if, God forbid, the child is behaving in a way where the parent has the unfortunate necessity to take an act of tough love? No one wants to ever have to make that decision. But, ultimately speaking, tough love is a far more greater love than revealed love. And that's in layman's terms how we look at the suffering that we go through. But if you remember, I started this class with telling you that within the suffering, within all these verses, there is a deeper explanation like the one I gave you with the ten women baking in one oven. Now what happens here is that it's actually once again, like I told you when I speak to my kids, it doesn't have to be this way. When we go through an experience of tough love, we are going to decide how far we're going to travel into this experience. Are we only going to waddle in the tough or are we going to push on and move into the love? See, what happens here is that tough love is basically a cactus. The outside is prickly, but the inside is sweet. Now the question is, how are you going to approach that cactus? Are you going to be the stubborn, tough-headed, I'm going to grab onto it, I'm going to rip it open, and then complain that your hands are, are bleeding? Or are you going to realize, don't approach this the way you approach a watermelon, this is a cactus. So what happens here is the lower level, the external level, is tough. It's prickly and it hurts if you don't know how to approach it. But if you have the strength and the emunah and you say, I'm not getting stuck in the external experience, but I'm going to push on, hold on tight, control my mind, control my heart, Stay focused, drill through, because I want to get to the sweetness which lies within this. When you have that type of experience, then basically what you're doing is you're peeling the fruit, getting rid of the outside so that you can experience the inside. Now that does not mean that the outside isn't troublesome, the outside isn't painful, but when you stay focused that I'm not going to begin and end with the outside and then quetch about it, but rather I realize I need to get through the peel to get to the fruit. And even while I'm dealing with the peel, I'm focused on the fruit, then the entire experience becomes a different experience. So even though I'm going through rough times, 
but during the rough times, I'm focusing on my job is not to get caught here. You know, they tell the story. It's one of the jokes they say on Passover. How this person wasn't involved at all with the Seder. He was a poor person. And he told his friend, you know, you guys, you Jewish guys, you go to shul, and then back, you sit, and the way out, everyone takes a guest and takes him home and feeds Shabbat and holidays. Why don't you set me up once? We're friends, right? He says, actually, you're very lucky because tonight is Passover and everyone brings home guests because they start to say there with that proclamation. He who doesn't have to eat is hungry, come to my house, and they invite people. So come with me tonight to the synagogue. You'll sit with me in the back. And you'll see as people walk out, they just take another person on the bench, another person on the bench. Come with me, come with me. Okay. So he sits down over there on the bench next to his Jewish friend. And one guy comes, another guy comes, and all of a sudden it's that guy's turn. And as they see who's coming, his Jewish friend gives him a ribbon. Oh, man, you're lucky. That one, that's good. Wife's a great cook, gives good food. You are going to be one happy puppy tonight. Okay. No, meets the next day. The guy's waiting to see his friend to get all the thank yous and the thank you for setting me up. And really, it was great. And the guy comes and he is so fuming. And what happened? He said, what do you mean, what happened? You know that I don't eat all day. I come home. The first thing they do is they give me some strong wine on an empty stomach. My head's spinning. They're sitting there reading in Hebrew for about three and a half hours. And then finally, food comes out. They give me this hard cracker. And then they give me this burning hot bitter herb to wash it down with. I wasn't hanging out no more. I was out of there. And the guy tells me, you fool. <laughs> the next thing is Shulchan Aruch. The next thing was the meal. You left right before it was going to get good. The story is very applicable to what we're saying tonight. We quetch and we quetch and it's the suffering, it's the hard times and the economy and the this and the that. It's all problematic. And then, as we're finishing with the bitter herbs and they're starting to clean the table for the meal, how many of us say, that's it. I I'm sorry. I'm out of here. I just can't take it no more. A moon are gone. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. It just isn't working. God, you still love us. I don't know what's going on. I know I'm a bad person. Yada, yada, shmara, mara, and all that. And we leave to find out the next morning, boy, did you miss a meal. I have a friend who just this week sent me an answer that the Rebbe gave his father that has had me on a different plane all week long. His father wrote down the conversation. His father must have told the Rebbe, he says, he writes over there, he told the Rebbe that because of my spiritual state, I feel the Rebbe isn't thinking about me. And the Rebbe answers him with these words. I think of people in a far worse state than you, do, than you are. And meanwhile, you're just causing me a lot of pain by saying what you're saying. You're telling me I don't think of you because of your situation. You goofed. I'm telling you I think of people in a lot worse situation than you. So the question isn't whether I'm thinking or not. 
The question is that you have to hurt me by telling me that you think I'm not thinking about you. I want to tell you another story. There was some person, Nebuch, a horrible story, lost a child. The brother went by the Rebbe, a famous family in Chabad, went by the Rebbe by dollars. He didn't know nothing what was going on, what his brother's thoughts were. And all of a sudden, the Rebbe gives him a second dollar. Tell your brother, Halavai, he would think about me as much as I think about him. And later, his brother explained to him, he was after the aftermath of his whole suffering, what he was going through in his mind. Hear the verse. Vechora af. Anger is raging. Hashem's upset with our behaviors. And what happens? Because of that, because we're suffering, we immediately come to a conclusion. God doesn't love me no more. God's not thinking about me. God doesn't care about me. God's walked out on me. All that. And what does the verse say? Hashem bachem. Never moved my shoulder. Never took you off my lap. Even though you made a mess. You're right there with me. And I'm right there with you. And when you realize that, how can we not realize that any difficult times we're going through is because we're now going through the outer layer of the cactus. But if I'm on Hashem's lap and He never moved His shoulder and it doesn't have to be this way, how can I not believe that just push a little on because within the cactus is the sweetest of nectar. So we're talking here about two things. We're talking about understanding that Hashem, Bachem, even in the worst situations, I don't know if you guys saw my email I sent out about Tishabov. Our sages tell us that on Tishabov the two Cherubim were facing each other, which was a sign of love. Because when Hashem was mad at us, the Cherubim would face outwards, frontwards, not to each other. On Tishabov, the Cherubim were facing each other. On the worst day ever, the one message Hashem was giving us as we were walking into exile is, I'm with you, I love you, and I'll never let you go. And then when that is clear in your mind, when you have the straight faith that Hashem Bachem, even in the hardest situations, then you have a whole different outlook to the hardest situations. But what we need to talk about in closing is what I started talking about the second half. Our job is to take off the gift wrapping. Our job is to open the box and take out what lies in the box. Because suffering is a gift from God if you know that the suffering part is only the gift wrapping. So why are you just standing there looking at it, wallowing in it, rather than ripping off the gift wrap open the box, and take out what's inside. Why are you sitting here from every direction, hugging and touching the cactus, screaming, rather than split open the cactus and get to what lies inside? Because within all of it, Hashem Bachem. And where Hashem is, goodness is. So, recap. 
Step, step number one, and don't ever skip this step. Don't try to handle the suffering. Don't handle the book before you handle the author. First, we need to understand clearly Hashem Bachem. No matter what happens, Hashem didn't move his shoulder. He never took us off his lap. And there isn't even a single second where Hashem's not telling you, I'm your shadow. It doesn't have to be this way. Move your hand. Put your head back on my shoulder. Number two, in the most stickiest, sharpest of moments, realize it isn't a time to hug the cactus from all sides. It hurts enough as it is. Find a way to crack open the cactus so you can find the sweetness that lies within it. That's it for tonight, guys.